Alright, well, um, hello and welcome to the Mobility Podcast. Uh, once again, we are in sunny Orlando, Florida uh, for the Automated Vehicle Summit uh, 2019, of course. Um, and I'm joined by my co-host. Pete Gould with Shared Mobility Strategies. And um, our uh, co-host, uh, Greg Rodriguez, wasn't able to make it this year, but um, he is with us in spirit and I can hear him whispering in my ear, views are our own. Um, so I'm excited to be uh, with uh, Kelly Nantel today. Um, she's with the, Na- the National Safety Council um, and also has uh, been instrumental in launching uh, PAVE, uh, Partners for Automated Vehicle Education. Uh, so Kelly, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, and, uh, thanks for joining us. So could you start off by um, telling us a little bit about um, your work at NSC and PAVE and um, sort of how this all came together? Sure. So the National Safety Council is a 100-year-old nonprofit that works to eliminate preventable death at work at home and on the road. And so there's a natural connection between our work in promoting road safety and the work of PAVE and really trying to advance automated vehicle education for consumers. Uh, we've invested a lot of money and a lot of time to develop this great life-saving technology. And now's the time where we need to bring the, the public, the consumer, on that journey with us so that they are willing to accept the technology, to use the technology, ultimately, ideally, to demand the technology. Great. Um, And so how did PAVE start? Um, How did this all sort of come together? Well, if I said it started over a beer, would that, (laughs) you know, actually, (laughs) it was about a little over two years ago, and uh, Brad Sturtz from Audi uh, approached us at the National Safety Council with an idea, uh, really starting to understand and and appreciate how the public was disengaged and how uninformed they were. They were really confused about not just AV technology, but ADAS technology as well, and they're conflating the two. Mm -hmm. And he came to us and asked, you know, do you think there's an opportunity? opportunity here for the National Safety Council and maybe for the industry to work together. We spent a lot of time talking about what that could look like. We started having conversations with some of the pioneers in the AV space to say, you know, is it possible? Would you all be willing to come to the table, maybe form some sort of a coalition? And really the basis of it was that we would agree upon a common set of messaging and a common way of talking about this technology so that we can demystify it for the public, but then also to help them understand, not be afraid of it, and be willing you know, to, to ride in the cars. I mean, we know AAA says 73% of Americans are too afraid to get in a self-driving car. Why? Because they don't understand it. They've right. never been exposed to it. And that it's was really what... the unknown. Exactly. That's how it all started. And, mm-hmm. and it was really just sort of this incremental progress of talking to you know folks in the industry. And about a year ago, actually a year ago now, mm-hmm. we had our first meeting in Washington, D.C. We right. had uh, 36 people from 19 different companies, you know, all sat around a table for a day. And, and we really hashed it out, sort of started to think about what would the rules be around this coalition? You know, how can we all keep our unique identity and, and our unique mission points of perspective and whatnot, but still come together around this really important piece. And I'm, I'm so happy to say that a year later, uh, you know, PAVE is not only launched uh, with our initial group of about 23 organizations, but we've more than doubled in size. Mm-hmm. And, and we're really starting to, to get some momentum. It's really exciting to be here at, at AVS and be talking about it and, and to get the kind of reaction we're getting here, too, which is really, really promising. Right. And I, I've, I've been excited to um, sort of... I'm Sorry, I'm, I'm picturing Brad just rolling up to an, an, an NSC meeting with beers still. He's like, wow. I love this idea. It's like, Brad, it's 11 a.m. It's 11 a.m., Brad. <laughs> Read the room, buddy. Like, I'm sorry. Go ahead. 
I know he'll love this. <laughs> <laughs> it was a good segue. Um, but, you know, I, I think that, um, so SAFE is a member of PAVE, and one of the things that stood out when you, when you guys had approached us was that there had been all these conversations. We had, we'd all sort of been having them, but yeah. actually going out and making this happen yeah. um, wasn't as easy as maybe I think a lot of people sort of commenting on Twitter seemed to think it was. I mean, yeah. we spent hours arguing over terminology and what to do, et cetera, et cetera. And really, I think that it's, it's turned out to be um, something that's formed out of sort of the spirit of like what all of us are trying to do. Yeah, I, I think that's right. Um, you know, it, it, part of it is timing. Uh, people recognizing that if we don't do it now, we're really, really going to be up against a wall. And and then part of it is just really uh, positive thinking on the part of everybody who is willing to come together to say, I'm not always going to get what I want. It's not mm-hmm. always going to be defined the way I want it to be. Uh, and I'm okay with that because it's for the common good. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, we talk a lot here at AVS about technology, uh, terminology and whatnot, but we're engineers. I'm not an engineer, clearly, but they're engineers talking to engineers about engineering terms. <laughs> right. And then we sort of push that out to the public, and the public is like, ah. J30, what? Exactly, yeah. right? Yeah. I have no idea what you're I'm talking about. I'm a scientist, about. A political scientist. <laughs> <laughs> scientist. But what's really encouraging is this is the first AVS that I've been to that actually public education and sort of the consumer yeah. aspect of this is actually being considered. And it was funny, yesterday in some of the sessions, there were some engineers who said, you know, basically, we just got to get out of the room and let the communications people take it from here. Mm-hmm. That's a really good sign. But, you know, you're right. It hasn't been easy to get to this point. Mm-hmm. But I think all of these companies coming together and all the players around the table are coming at it with an open mind and a willingness to compromise uh, for the greater good. Mm-hmm. I think what was funny, too, is that, um, you know, in, in the initial sort of thought process, it was, well, there's this moral hazard that other companies aren't going to participate, that some of us are going to be participating and helping. But... We've actually, it's it's been amazing to see the amount of people who have actually joined. Yeah. I mean, and you have everyone from your basic startup to the big pioneers in in the AV industry, traditional OEMs, uh, you know, total tech companies like Intel and others. Um, You know, then you've got the advocacy groups. You know, obviously, you guys are involved in it, the National Safety Council. We've got AAA and we've got insurance providers. So uh, we've got mobility uh, uh, organizations who, who are looking at it from their perspective. I think that's really what makes PAVE powerful is the diversity of the membership Mm -hmm. and you know we've often called it industry-led but I'm not sure that's the right way to describe it what it really is is Mm industry-wide you know it's this this grouping of of people all who have their own perspectives but who care about AVs and care about how AVs are rolled out and what the benefits of them can be and everybody has a seat at the table everybody has a vote now did, did this not only from Brad's kind of idea but also the experience in pushing for unsuccessfully for AV Start, all of the groups that kind of, was it a, oh man, I wish we'd had this at the start laying out in kind of not educating just the public, but lawmakers and here are all the different groups that were kind of going at it alone that came together by the end. It's, it's a really great question and so I would answer that two ways. One is, is to be really clear, PAVE is not a lobbying arm. Mm-hmm. It's purely public education but within the education we recognize that policymakers need to be informed as well. What what policies they choose to write and implement, we're not trying to, to, you know, to push in one direction or the other but we want to make sure that their foundation knowledge is is solid and, and 
in that it's based in fact and not hyperbolic, uh, you know, marketing terminology. And their constituents too. They're hearing absolutely uninformed. Absolutely. Hyper, yeah. But I do think that you know, with with the with those pieces of legislation not making their way through, everyone was recognizing that we have got to build a better case, and that starts with consumer education, and it starts with making sure that our policymakers are well informed. And and in fact, uh, Johanna Zoom Zoom from uh, from Texas A and M this morning. Ismad, yeah. thank you. Yeah, mm-hmm. she, you know, she was talking today uh, about the fact that the vast majority of the public, you know, their assumptions are born out of media interviews. Mm-hmm. Well, they help drive the political process, and so if their if their baseline level of thinking isn't correct, then they're going to be pushing for and, and asking for uh, and, you know policies that are not based on the best uh, uh, information that we have available. And I think that's where Pave can be really helpful. Yeah, and I, and I think too, there's a. With this industry, and as we saw last year in uh, in Arizona with mm-hmm. the Uber thing, having an inform you know informing and educating the public on the front end versus yes. reaction Absolutely. and explaining, trying to catch a train that's already left is the you, is is trying to unlose a battle. That's right. Um, yeah. <laughs> so it is. I do think it's that that's fascinating angle to it of this is you know knowing what this is and what this isn't. Yeah. Um, are almost equally. Mm-hmm. I think important. Yeah, and there are lots of other groups that are out there that are lobbying, and, mm-hmm. and, and that's an important piece. It has, you know, certainly the National Safety Council, we have our own perspective on some of those things, but from the from the education side, it's the first of its kind. It's the first time that industry, you know, has come together and is willing to do this, and I think it's really, really important. Um, are there any historical examples for organizations like this um, that, that we can sort of use as a model just to make sure that PAVE is effective? Yeah, there's a really, it's the Airbag and Seatbelt Coalition, I think is probably the most successful model. Uh, and we're really trying to base our, our early um, foundational principles and our development based on that. And that was in the 80s and 90s when the automotive industry, along with insurance providers and, and, and others, came together because kids were dying uh, in the front seats of cars the airbags were, uh, were were exploding and um, and then we had a situation in our in our country where we weren't buckling up I mean you know in the course of a generation we turned that statistic completely around so when the airbag and seatbelt coalition uh, first launched there were only about 10% of Americans who were buckling up and today that's 10% of Americans who don't buckle up uh, the, the reverse of that is you don't see little kids right Riding in the front seats of cars anymore. You know, we've really changed the paradigm on that, and and I think that's the power of a really well-formed and well-organized coalition. You, again, you had a lot of of, of traditional lawmakers, uh, sorry, uh, automakers, all coming together with a common goal in mind, which was to educate the public about airbags and about seatbelt use. And uh, it was a sustained campaign over many, many years. Had a legislative component as well, so that makes it a little bit different. Uh, and of course, it resulted in the enforcement piece um, so it makes it a little bit different but just purely from the consumer education side I think it was an absolute model for us and and we've talked about that a lot as as a coalition is how do we take those learnings and apply them um, I think a more recent example uh, is the road to zero coalition and just thinking through the road to zero coalition which is a, a coalition of about 900 different organizations all who are working towards achieving zero deaths on the roadway by 2050 it's it's a little bit different in that uh, um, they've got while their start was fast in building, uh, it's been a little bit slower in, in sort of rolling out what its agenda it will be. But we've taken some of the learnings from there as well and really tried to 
pulled together something in PAVE that will be unique but uh, very, very beneficial. That's great. And so stepping away from PAVE and AVs, mm -hmm. you know, the the motto it says here for the NSC is eliminating preventable deaths. Yes. Every year, just tens of thousands of, of kind of senseless deaths. What are, in addition to the, the shiny objects, what are the basics that we need to be doing from a policy standpoint to be reducing and eliminating road uh, deaths? Roadway deaths? That's a, that's a great question. Um, so I would say that in many cases, it's back to basics. The Road to Zero report really breaks it down into three sections. It talks about doubling down on what works, accelerating deployment of proven technologies, and then creating a, a, a safety culture, a safety mind in this country, and using the safe systems approach to transportation uh, infrastructure and design. And so when I say back to basics, that's really doubling down on what works. In our country, we're seeing a trend of, of, of um, speed limits being increased instead of decreased. The laws of physics don't change, you know? Uh, so that's number one. Uh, we're seeing somewhat of a decline in seatbelt use, uh, especially mm -hmm. among young male drivers, huh. um, 16 to 24. Well, they're invincible, so it's That's exactly right, and we're not doing <laughs> a good job of, yeah. you know, and this is a generation <laughs> who has never known a day outside of a, of a safety, whether it was being in a, in a child seat when they left the hospital, yeah. you know, to the time that they get their driver's license. That's why this is happening now. Is it, their Instagram? I mean, it doesn't look good. Yeah. It might be. Yeah. That, you know, I think it's that invincibility piece, though, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. with, with young drivers. Um, and, and so, I mean, certainly seatbelt use is another one. Speeding and then impairment. Those are really the three big areas. And I think our, in our country especially, we've been battling this, this problem with impaired driving for decades. We made significant progress in the 80s and, and have plateaued ever since. And, you know, we lose 10 to 11,000 people every year in impaired driving crashes. Technology is a game changer in that space and we've we've got to have the will uh, you know to, to, to go after these kinds of things we need we need state legislators to increase speed limits not decrease them I'm sorry to decrease speed limits not increase them we need primary seatbelt laws not secondary seatbelt laws and it'd be great if we had seatbelt laws that required you to be buckled up in every seating compartment in the vehicle not just the front seat so those are some of the things that we know we can do by doubling down on what works and then you know, that second piece around uh, technology is really, I think, where PAVE and, and AVs can really come into play. It's also automated uh, uh, um, infrastructure improvements, so using technology and infrastructure, whether that's V2V, V2X, or, or what have you. Uh, and then also automated enforcement, which, you know, I think can be uh, a third rail for a lot of people, but it's because it hasn't it hasn't been rolled out properly. It's because they keep getting caught breaking well, it's, the law. it's because <laughs> I think people early on were describing it as a revenue generator, when in fact what we know is automated enforcement saves lives we should be talking about it as a life-saving technique not a revenue generating uh you Maybe know measure pumping the money back into exactly Zero. And I like think that's when, how you fund your it, right and when communities can show and that the then they're consumed then then their citizens are more apt to to welcome the technology but it definitely saves lives mm -hmm. um and then when we talk about safety culture i think to your point is we have an apathy in this country where we've come to accept you know somewhere in the area of forty thousand deaths every year on the roadway as the cost of being mobile and we wouldn't tolerate that in any other mode of transportation mm -hmm. but we tolerate it on the roads and so really attacking that cultural novocaine that exists in our country i think is really important too cultural novocaine i really like that yeah 
Or, yeah, emotional, no, you know. Have, mm. have we, one of the big pitches for TNCs in the early days was the potential and early, we saw early results on reducing drunk driving just by having easily accessible mm-hmm. rides, you know, at the push of a button. Has there been any actual kind of big picture change So it's interesting. There's not a lot of research out there, not hard research that that backs that up. I mean, I think anecdotally, we we would all agree (laughs) that that is the case. There was early, at the time when I was there, I remember it was probably Mm 2015-ish, Virginia came out and said they'd seen a dramatic decline. Yeah, I remember that too. And, you know... I think I think we need what we need is some research that absolutely makes that clear, so that yeah. then people can use that to really push it. It's a common sense, anecdotal. It is a common. I mean, I know myself. You know, I live yeah. in a city now. I mean, I benefit because I live in a city, but I park my car on the weekend and I don't take it out again. I, why would you? With the right. convenience, uh, you know, or even the someone who drove to the bar, mm-hmm. I can't leave. leave my, your car. I can't leave my car because I need to get back to it yeah. for work or whatever. Yeah. Having that, that mobility so I just, opportunity. I, I mean, I'm fascinated. Yeah. We, have, we would, as with a lot of the early promises of the TNCs, that's the one that I had always. I think I think it is a game changer when yeah. it comes to impaired driving, and I think you know, much like um, designated so a, a designated driver, you know, was mm-hmm. really that mantra of the '80s and '90s, and the, again, it was part of what helped us drive that number down. I, I think really encouraging use of, of shared um, shared mobility options is is so critical. And I thought, and I remember, so this again was probably 2015, 2016. One of the real no, to me, defining moments in that cultural and the and the kind of uh, approach. Obviously, drunk driving is 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 not exactly celebrated, mm-hmm. but when Michael Phelps got a, a got a DUI, yeah. kind of soon after he, he kind of came back from China to the Rings, and immediately the social media, everyone's around is like, "You idiot! You can get an Uber. What yep. were you? Th- you have no excuse. There right. is a ride available." And, and it was just everyone was, "Why would you? Why were you not in a, in a you know a t- an Uber or a Lyft?" Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I was hoping that that is something from a cultural shift of there is no excuse anymore. Yeah, not that there ever was. Right. But there there in most places there is. But when not you have TNCs and yeah. when you have these emerging technologies that can really make a difference, I think the any any excuse that you thought you could yeah, use. And the, you know, the, I couldn't find a cat. No, there no, was nothing. No. You, sh- you were yeah. making a decision to put everyone's life in, in danger. That's right. Yeah, no, that's right. And then Leslie, the other one that, again, maybe this is a, a confirmation bias from, from Twitter following, but the the increase in pedestrian deaths that mm-hmm. we're seeing, do we, ha- do we know, is that a vehicle design? Is that texting pedestrians, as some would allude? What's going on there, and how do we... Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think certainly distraction is just as dangerous with pedestrians as it is with drivers. And that was one of the things when we talked about doubling down on what works, you know. I mean, distraction is an issue we've got to get our heads around our and our uh, handle on uh, for drivers and for pedestrians. And I think when you combine the two, my goodness, you know, you talk about a recipe for disaster. So I think that's a part of it. I, I Like I said, I live in a city. I, I'm amazed at on any given moment when you're walking down the street how many people's heads are down and eyes are on their phone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and on top of it, earbuds in the ear. And so really, really distracted and not aware of their surroundings. I think that's certainly a part of, of the increase for sure. Um, 
and you know just more congestion too just much more congestion but I think distraction is a huge piece and and there's a lot that we can do there to encourage uh, responsible behavior much more responsible behavior by, by folks great um, so turning back to uh, sort of the idea of um, PAVE and sort of how it's going to achieve these goals and sort of looking at historical examples um, we have sort of these four buckets of activities. Could you yep. give sort of, sort of an overview of those for folks? Yeah, so the steering committees really identified four pillars of activity that PAVE will focus its efforts on. Uh, the first two are, are ones we're very engaged in this year, and the other two are ones that we'll be working towards over the, over the next year and coming years beyond that. So the four pillars are uh, web presence and social media campaign. So mm-hmm. that's really taking the message, uh, you know, both to the public and, and to others who need to hear it, whether that's uh, reporters who are reporting uh, on AV technology or, you know, or other followers in, in the Twitter sphere and uh, Instagram and social media. So that's a big part of it. Um, the and other podcasts. one. And podcasts, yeah. uh, you can't leave that out. And the other one that I think is really exciting are, are demo days, and, and that's the second pillar of our work. Um, we were really fortunate to partner with one of our PAVE partners, uh, SAE, in April to do our first demo day up in Detroit. Uh, but it's an opportunity to give the average consumer a, a little peek under the curtain, you know, just a little inside information. So they come in, they get to ride in a vehicle, demystify the technology, they get to interact with the engineers and, and, and talk to them and ask questions. Um, they also get to learn about the benefits of AV technologies through having a series of booths that they can wander through. Uh, they get to spend some time with some of the LIDAR um, you, you know, uh, producers, manufacturers, to understand what is LIDAR. You know, how do you start to just demystify all this different technology so that they walk away thinking, that's not so scary. Okay, I get it. Uh, in, in Detroit, we had over 500 people come through. And it was amazing. I, I had such a great time watching them as they kind of went into the car, and then they come out of the car like so excited about having had that experience. We really believe that that giving the members of the public an opportunity to ride in a car and just to ask questions and to start to understand it a little bit more is a key element of, of bringing them along on that journey. So Demo Days is the second. Uh, the third are policymaker workshops, which I talked a little bit about, again, not being a lobbying effort, but really being about giving them a solid foundation. Convening. Yeah, understanding of the state of play. What's the terminology, you know? uh, What's the hyperbolic stuff you need to stay away from? Mm -hmm. And and so really working on those. And then the fourth and final piece is something that's a little bit further out. It's really important, but, you know, as you eat any elephant, it's only one bite at a time, and we've got to sort of prioritize our efforts. But it's really providing resources for dealers and service providers to help them also be able to explore explain and talk about technologies to their customers as they're coming into dealerships. Fascinating. Yeah, so it's a lot of work, um, but I have to say, you know, we've got a great, great group. We've got a lot of subcommittees that have been established, and and you know, every one of us has a full-time job, uh, maybe except for Tara, our coalition manager. This is her full-time job, but all the rest of us are, you know, are fully engaged. But the amount of energy uh, and work that people are willing to put into this uh, as a as a side, you know, sort of side responsibility is has been really, really encouraging, and and we're making great progress in getting these things done. So I'm really excited about that. Yeah, and I, I will acknowledge my bias, but I'm, I'm very excited um, about this and sort of the future of BAVE. 
Um, so for folks who um, want to look at getting involved, um, how do they reach out? How do they start to get engaged with PAVE? Yeah, so we have a great website, pavecampaign.org. You can start there. Uh, there's actually an easy way to send an email to our coalition manager uh, for more information, and she'd reach right back out to folks. Uh, that we, Like I said, we've uh, more than doubled our, our membership and since our launch at the Consumer Electronics Show in January, and we've got a lot of other people who are, are interested in just wanting to learn more. Others are interested in, in joining the effort. Uh, we are also on social media, so obviously Facebook, uh, Twitter, and Instagram. Instagram um, at Pave Campaign are the the handles, or Pave Campaign if it's just Facebook that you're looking for. Uh, but we'd ask you know follow us, follow us, and, and engage with us. We'd be happy to answer questions and and to follow up with anyone who's interested in learning more. Great. Um, and are there any uh, upcoming events that PAVE has planned that folks should be looking out for public demos? So we're still working on our calendar. Uh, we've got a lot of interest from conference organizers, not unlike uh, AVS, but, uh, and, and we think that's a, a nice way of tapping onto something or tagging onto something that's already under development. But we're absolutely building out our calendar on those demo days for the rest of this calendar year. Uh, you can absolutely plan to see us around some of these AV conferences. I think it's really important for us to continue to beat the drum about the need for for uh, pave and the work that we're trying to do, uh, and then you know we're out and about and, and really starting to make our presence known on social media. Great. Um, so I think that's a great place to wrap it up. Great. Um, Pete, where do uh, people find you online? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Shared Mobility S. And you can find me at AV Gregar on Twitter. Um, also follow Mobility Podcast at Mobility Podcast. And check our website, mobilitypodcast.com. Uh, Kelly, thanks for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure. Great fun, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Thanks.